Hello, I'm Liv Bolton, and you're listening to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire people wanting to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of their life. The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with our friends at Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports. Today's guest is Jess Mather. In her day job, Jess is a physical and wellbeing coach in a psychiatric hospital, but she spends nearly every spare moment outside of work in the outdoors. She's a hiker and trail runner, has bagged over 100 Wainwrights in the Lake District, and has summited several high altitude mountains around the world, including Kilimanjaro in Tanzania and Stockhangri in the Indian Himalayas. In the podcast, Jess takes us through stories from her adventures and gives tips for others who would like to get outdoors more or do high altitude treks. She also speaks about a devastating event that has shaped her relationship with the outdoors. I went to visit Jess in her home village near Wigan and we sat in a beautiful field accompanied by lots of birdsong. I hope you enjoy the podcast. You can see photos of Jess and her adventures on theoutdoorsfix.com or on Instagram at theoutdoorsfix. Jess, lovely to meet you. Hottest day it feels like of the year so far. I know, where summer's finally come, hopefully. I know, and um, tell me where we are right now. Um, so we are in a place called Edison Field, um, near Wigan, um, in a place called Billinge, where I live. It's lovely and green right now, and um, lots of lovely birds. A few planes, but um, not too bad. You can't get away from them in the UK, can you? <laughs> Definitely so. not, no. <laughs> I'm jealous of the people on them. <laughs> um, you've had an awesome weekend so far. Tell me what you were doing on Friday. Um, so a couple of, me and a couple of friends decided to go to the Lake District for the sunset on Friday night. Um, so I planned a little bit of a route, bagging some Wainwrights. And we started off about 7 o'clock in the evening, took in a few of the Wainwrights um, onto Rays. And we watched the sunset, um, which was absolutely amazing because it was my first sunset on a mountain in the UK and my first bivvy. So we all watched the sunset together, set up our bivvies and basically just lie there all night. And then we watched the light up the fells at 3 o'clock in the morning as well, where they all set the flares off on all the... 214 Lake District Wainwrights. The sky pretty much didn't go dark. Uh, we saw a few stars in the moon, but the orange glow was there all night and then it just moved around and we got like a really epic sunrise as well, oh, um, which was also my first sunrise on a mountain. Amazing. Um, and that's above, it's above um, that is above like Glenridden or Lull's Waterway. Um, so it's absolutely beautiful. And then we had like quite a lot, big hike um, back into, we did like a linear. So we hiked into Ambleside then. Um, over like the Helvellyn range and then we had like a really big slog up onto Furfield at the end finished off like the second half of the Furfield horseshoe uh, but we had like really good weather we couldn't have asked for it my, my first Bivian experience it could have been any better really so it was fantastic and that's just one example of all these amazing adventures you're getting up to in the UK at the moment and I and I want to talk about those later on in, in the podcast yeah, yeah. Um, but tell me how would you describe yourself I'd probably say uh, nowadays I'm quite outdoorsy and adventurous. I really like meeting new people and just getting outdoors, experiencing new things, setting goals to achieve possibly unrealistic things, but that's when you kind of work towards it. And what is your weekday job that you do? I am a physical health and wellbeing coach in a psychiatric hospital um, where we've got uh, women with mental illnesses and some physical and learning difficulties as well. And I run a 12-week weight management programme, a bit of education around healthy lifestyles, 
do different walks and different activities for the patients to get involved in promoting like independence and hoping that when people get discharged that they take on some of these things that we do in the hospital uh, like and at the minute it's mainly like trying to get people outdoors and active and basically reducing sedentary behavior that's amazing work and you recently took a patient up to Snowdon which I also want to talk about later yeah, yeah. on. Tell me about your life five years ago. Were you very outdoorsy? No, um, so like when I was younger I used to have horses. started competing, we did um, mainly show jumping, cross country and we started one day eventing towards the end uh, but unfortunately we had to retire in 2013. She had arthritis in a in hocks. So then my life kind of, I felt like a little bit lost after that because like horses were like a massive part of my life for so long. Um, and then in 2014, I entered a competition at work uh, to climb Kilimanjaro. Well, I ended up winning the competition. Which has completely changed my life from what it was before. So I wasn't necessarily outdoorsy. I was more concerned about going out on a night out or having my nails done. Um, I'd spend my weekends having a lie-in and yeah. just having a rest. So up until like 2014, when I got that competition, won the competition, that was pretty much my life, really. So Kilimanjaro, then. Yeah. Um, your work paid for you to go and you had this yeah. amazing experience. How was Kilimanjaro? How did your body cope with that as you were pretty new to yeah. this outdoorsy thing? Um, well, I kind of, I'd never climbed a mountain before. I found out I'd won the competition. So it was quite a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system. Like I'd done a bit of running. I was quite active, but not necessarily anything of that extreme. It was like my first big ever adventure. I'd never traveled anywhere on my own. So traveling to Heathrow to meet all these random people. It uh, was a little bit of a shock. I thought I'd trained enough for, for Kilimanjaro, but I, I was a, pretty much a bit clueless in terms of like the altitude and how that would affect me. But Kilimanjaro, is, in terms of a trek, it was the first five or six days were relatively easy, just acclimatising, and I didn't really have any problems with the altitude, whereas other people did. And then summit night was just an absolute killer. Yeah, I think I completely underestimated how hard it was going to be. Like, we set off at midnight, um, we had a really cold wind chill, it was like minus 20. Wow. I obviously didn't have the best gear because I'd not been hiking that long, so we had like regatta and high gear clothing that was not really going to keep me warm. I'd rented a down jacket, um, so it was very, very cold. I was crying because I was cold my hands where I thought oh. it was like going to be the end of the world. But just it was just basically just keeping putting one foot in front of the other in hope that I'd get there. And eventually, like I think it was about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, we reached the... Uhuru Peak Summit and it was just, it was just so emotional like I couldn't believe I'd done it it was just such a good feeling like I couldn't believe it um, I'd got such a good uh, group of friends as well I met over there so it was like yeah quite a big adventure amazingly your first big mountain that you went all the way to Tanzania for amazing. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the run-up to Kilimanjaro you had been training quite a bit in the mountains with your college friend Vicky yes Tell me about Vicky. Um, so Vicky was, I met Vicky in college um, and we always got on really, really well. She was, we were quite similar people. We used to like, like, like doing similar stuff, but I necessarily wasn't that outdoorsy at that point. Um, so then we kind of, when I got, when I found out about the competition, uh, I'd won the competition for Kilimanjaro, uh, that's when we started getting out a lot. But then in 2015, uh, I was on holiday in, in, in Greece um, and I got a phone call to say that like Vicky had died and 
it was like a big shock because I was supposed to be going to every space camp with her. She was my best friend. She was uh, like, we, did, we were like sisters really. We did so much together. And she had died while hiking. Yeah. Um, she was um, in the Lake District hiking with her mum uh, when she was, I think she'd kind of took the wrong route off haystacks and um, she fell um, and, and, and died due to her injuries. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a big mountain or, and it was one of the hottest days of the year. It was a beautiful day. Um, it was just one of them things that, that something went quite wrong um, and not, it's kind of made me a lot more aware when I'm out now. Um, people might think I'm a little bit over safe um, but that is, that's generally due because of that reason because um, you don't necessarily expect your best friend to go out and die um, so that was quite difficult. And so that you were saying gave you a lot of drive to go and do Everest Base Camp yeah. that you've been planning to do together. Yeah so I kind of I still managed to get out on like bits of training and stuff like that um, and I still went ahead with a trip. Um, I fundraised for um, Cockermouth Mountain Rescue Team as well, which was also quite a big motivational factor for me. Um, and a mum actually asked me to uh, whether I'd scatter some of her ashes at Everest Base Camp, uh, which was like, a big bit of a shock and um, like it was like a bit of an honour to be able to do that. Um, but then when, when I was actually over in Nepal, uh, we walked through the Everest Memorial, which is like the most peaceful place like you'll ever go to in your whole life. Like you, the Everest Trail is really busy. And then you go into the Everest Memorial and it's like you've got the mountains. It's just a, a peaceful place where like um, we've got memorials for all the Everest climbers who, who died. Um, so I contacted like her family and said, would you mind if I did that on the way back? And they were like, yeah, if you feel that's right um, that, and, that, and do that. So on the way back from every base camp I scattered her ashes uh, the Everest Memorial wow. so that was quite a difficult thing but, yeah. and wonderful that you were able to do that for her yeah. mum yeah I know so it's like yeah it's like I said it was a bit of an honour to be able to do that So after obviously every space camp I kind of got myself into a bit of a rut um, I lost a lot of motivation and I didn't really like, I didn't really have anyone to go outside with either um, so that was quite difficult then um, because I had no links to anyone because I used to do everything with Vicky so my mountain weekends they weren't they weren't really happening and I just kind of like got out of it and I became a lot less active and I started like like I felt feeling really like low and stuff. But then, like, booking the Annapurna circuit then, kind of, I found my love for the outdoors again. I had to kind of, whether it was dragging my mum up Snowdon or anything like that, I kind of was able to find links to it again. And even though I wasn't necessarily that fit when I went and did the Annapurna circuit, I think just get myself, just the journey from just getting to the Annapurna circuit, like, just was amazing because, like, it's something I was a bit worried about and, I've not done like too much in terms of hiking and that, so I was a bit worried about it. But when I was there, it just kind of it was like lit a fire inside me um, to carry on doing it. So the Annapurna circuit is in the Himalayas um, yeah. in Nepal, and and how far and how many days is it? 
Um, that, that was about, I think it, the trek on that was 18 days, so it was the longest wow. trek I've ever done as well. And there was some really big, like 20 kilometre days in there as well. So to trek at that, that, that kind of altitude, it was, was quite tough. Meeting the people I met out there, it kind of made me want to do it more, meet new people and get back into the lifestyle I used to love. Um, so it was a massive, a massive step for me, I think it's kind of finding me love for everything like myself being outdoors and being like the outgoing person I used to be. After Annapurna then yeah. what other ones did you do? Uh, well I then had three weeks until I did a tube camp out tube camp in winter in Morocco um, and how but, high is that? Uh, I think it's about 4,100 metres. Oh, nice. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily as demanding altitude-wise, but I'd never had any winter mountaineering experiences, um, and I kind of wanted to push myself in, t in terms of that. The other one that you've done is Stock Kangri yeah. in India, and mm -hmm. that is over 6,000 metres, isn't it? Yeah, so that was like after I'd done Tube Cal, I kind of wanted to get over 6,000 metres because I'd done like Kilimanjaro, which was about 5,8, and then I'd been to like 5,600, 5,400. The trek itself was just, it was a lot different to Nepal and that side of the Himalayas, but it was equally as beautiful and the challenge of Stock Kangri was like, it was brilliant. Like you felt like you were on a proper mountain experience. And it was again, it was like the feeling of something in Kilimanjaro. Like I just burst into tears when I got up there. Um, and it was just, it was just another amazing experience. But then obviously I was thinking, how the hell am I going to get down? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how is your body feeling at that height? Um, it, it affects everyone in a different way. I necessarily don't get the headaches, the sickness. I really suffer with tiredness. Like I feel like I'm about to fall asleep. I have to constantly be eating and drinking to try and keep my energy levels up. And it's just like like an extreme fatigue. And it's it's quite bizarre because like how we, how you get through that at that time. But you just kind of have to just keep plodding on. And I'm not necessarily physically ill. I'm just tired, so I know that I can do it. But I did get quite a bad cough on Stock Kangri. I don't know whether that's because of that it was over 6,000 metres a little bit higher. But I really felt like on, on my chest a little bit. And then as soon as it descended, I was absolutely fine. Because mm. um, you don't spend that much time up there. Um, it's just take a few pictures and get down into like a, a safer altitude. So how much experience do you think you need to do something like Stock Kangaroo? Because it's about, is it about a two week uh, expedition all in all? Yeah. yeah, it's about two weeks. I think we spent about 12, 13 days trekking on that one. Uh, and you do do a lot of acclimatisation. So we went over quite a few passes of 5,000 metres. So we were well acclimatised. Do you think you need a lot of experience mm. in terms of, um, obviously you need to know how to use crampons and an ice yeah. axe? Um, it's, uh, they say you don't need that much experience, as long as you've used them like once or twice, you kind of, because you do a little bit of a skills day as anyway the night before, you, the day before you summit. Uh, and just make, basically just lots of hill walking, like if someone joined a trip like that and just went to the gym, like it's, it doesn't matter how gym fit you are, you won't have the fitness to kind of, fit. you need the days out on the hills and just like really long days trekking and a bit of scrambling experience but generally the guides and Sherpas and everything are usually really really good and supportive um, so that's usually a massive help when you're there. So for anyone who's interested in doing these big international treks uh, is it a really expensive thing to do? Or? The Himalayas is generally quite cheap um, like up to like 6,000 meters so you can go on some really really good trips for like three weeks uh, for like just over 2,000 pound that's what the Annapurna circuit cost me. Um, 
whereas if you go to the Alps or something like that you're going to be paying that kind of a price for like 10 days mm-hmm. um, so it's like I know I've never been to the Alps yet I'd love to go don't get me wrong but in terms of costs and the experience you get out of going to these different countries I just love going to like the Himalayas So back in the UK then, yeah. your life is very outdoorsy right now. Yeah. You seem to be in the Lake District pretty much every weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about how often you're getting out and what you're generally tending to do. Yeah, uh, well I'm currently working towards a mountain leader assessment. Uh, I did my training in February this year. I have to kind of get some quality mountain days in so I'm now like planning weekends like every weekend um, to get like either one or two good quality mountain days in which need to be like over they've got like certain recommendations you need to meet so the group that um nick set up uh, adventure nick uh, with the instagram meets and stuff like we made some really good friends through that so we've been kind of going out on mad weekends uh, like last weekend we went n- not necessarily one of the best places in the country we went to the north pennines um to basically just trudge through bog um, and I did that with um, Matt, Chris and Saul, who's, and Saul's also working towards his mountain le- leader assessment. And we just went out for like a day trudging through like knee deep bog, navigating and like who kind of likes to like, it's like who even wants to go and do that. But like I've man- managed to find friends that are as daft as me to kind of go and do that with. Well, I live in a really good area. Well, not a good area, but it's got good motorway links. So I can go to like be in Snowdonia for two hours, Lake Dist, an hour and a half, yeah. and then like the Dales and the Peaks for an hour and 15 minutes. That's so brilliant. it's just an ideal place to go and plan an adventure. And I've got so many friends through like Instagram now as well, where I can kind of just like say, oh, do you fancy doing this? And I was like, yeah, we'll go and do that. So it's really good. So you've done a huge number of Wainwrights in the Lake District as well, haven't you? Yeah, so I think I'm on about 116 now. Um, and that's, that's out of 214, isn't it? Yes, so, yeah. yeah. So I'm getting there slowly, but I'm like the worst peak bagger in the world because what's happened is like I've been on like a big day and then it's kind of like getting towards the end of the day, you're just thinking, oh, I'd just love to be in the pub right now with a nice <laughs> cold pint. Um, so like I've missed like the odd one in really awkward places. So when I do finally get to like the end, of them I'm going to have like the odd one or two like mountains just in the middle of nowhere that I'm going to have to go and get because like we just kind of cut the day a little bit short <laughs> so like, I'm a terrible peak bagger. In the UK where is your favourite place to go hiking? Um, I think it will always be the Lake District like it, it means a lot to me because obviously that's where Vicky died um, so, and I, so and I really like Buttermere is such a beautiful place and where she died on haystacks when she had a fall, um, that's where kind of I love to be. Like it's such an a, such an amazing, beautiful place, and I kind of get a pe- bit of peace from going there as well. How does the outdoors make you feel then? Um, it's just it's a bit of peace away from reality. Um, when you've got like quite um, you work in quite a demanding environment, um, it's nice to just at the end of the week go on like on the Friday leave work head to the Lake District Snowdonia and places like that where you can just kind of get away from it all you're doing something physically active so that's obviously increasing your fitness making you feel a lot better about yourself and seeing your friends so it's all the social aspect and just basically just having a bit of peace um, and enjoying new experiences like the outdoor world is just so big so being able to try 
all these different things it's just absolutely amazing and I like w work hard during the week and then I get so excited on a Friday because I know that I'm going to be somewhere amazing in the next like in the evening um, and it's just being able to like plan all these different adventures with the friends that I've got and just have like an amazing weekend and just then come back on Monday and then crack on with work again. I've, I, I've, in a way I kind of feel like I'm living how Vicky would have wanted to live. Um, she was so adventurous, she loved getting outside, she had so much energy um, and me kind of doing that now is like how she would have wanted to live. Um, so it's kind of inspiring me to do that every weekend and hopefully making her proud in what I'm doing. think is um, the next steps for you? I love the outdoors so much I want to share that with other people get people outside get people in the mountains sharing my passion but also doing it safely because like, I went through a stage when I was quite panicky on the mountains after Vicky died because I was so scared so helping build people's confidence up in terms of that and especially like working with people with mental health mental illnesses and um, because I'm like how, it, how much it meant to me when I was struggling. When Vicky died, it kind of like got me through getting outside, getting active, it really helped me. So like I kind of want to help promote that to other people and maybe work in like communities and get out, get people outdoors and up mountains and things like that. Well, last weekend you got one of your patients up Mount Snowdon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she set that as a goal six months ago. Um, and she wanted to, she basically said I want to climb Snowdon so I put like a bit of a training plan in place, did some different walks with her uh, and then we took her up last week and she, she absolutely smashed it, it was a bit amazing for, for her to, to achieve that so it was brilliant. And how did she feel do you think? Um, I, th I think she was quite overwhelmed with it all and uh, I think she was really proud of herself, she did so well so it was just a really good achievement for her and to, for me to be able to like help her achieve that was even like a really good feeling. Jess, who are the three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures, do you think? Um, I'd say the first one has got to be Nick, Nick Hardy. Um, like before I met Nick, I'd I wasn't really getting outdoors and doing things I never like so for the community that she's created uh, for me to be able to meet all these new people and get outside and do what I love doing and find myself again um, it's been pretty pretty life-changing really and she's always like, always got so much energy and passion for the outdoors I love spending time with her and her going away and doing all these massive challenges as well is hugely inspiring. She's got a lot of determination and she's just great to be around. So yeah, she's definitely one of the people who inspire me. And she's called um, Adventure Nick on Instagram, isn't she? Is, she? yes. And uh, we also recorded a podcast with her in the first series. So if people want to hear more about Nick, yep. they can yeah, listen to her there. Mm -hmm. It's not particularly a second person. Um, that motivates me. But the place, the hospital where I work, the ladies I work with, they kind of have their own struggles every day, breaking down barriers to like motivation and participation. When they can get through things that they're going through at that time, it's just hugely inspiring because it, it must be hugely difficult and tough for them. And then to see them kind of go on and be discharged um, into like 
the community or step down hospitals it's just like it gives you like kind of a boost like inspires you to go and do different things and push yourself a little bit more so the third person who inspires me uh, is my friend Vicky um, like she was just so passionate about the outdoors um, she was great to be around she had so much energy and like it's like I'm so glad I've been able to like like spend some like time with her in the outdoors and stuff and her not being here now uh, it kind of makes me want to do it more and live in her honour um, so yeah I'd say Vicky definitely is one of the motivations and in, like inspirations to keep doing what I'm doing and and what probably always will be. Coming up at the end of the podcast your real outdoors fix a minute of the sounds of nature to divert your mind away from daily life. But now back to Jess for her tips and advice. For p other people who don't know that many people are into the outdoors, yeah. what would you recommend that they do to try and find a community? Um, well, a similar thing to me, like Instagram was like a massive, massive platform for that. But I know like online they have like in like different ramblers groups and walking groups and mountaineering clubs so if you can kind of get into one of them in your local area um, I'd, I'd highly recommend that because that's when you start meeting new people and you might not necessarily stay with that group you might kind of get your own little groups um, and it's just a it's just a, a way of being able to get back back outside um, and doing what you love doing so yeah I'd recommend that people try and look for a club or something similar. So what other tips do you have for people then? Um, I, I, I think setting yourself a goal is like really really important like a massive goal for me was the Annapurna circuit to get out and do something I love doing again and sometimes you, I, I set myself like some unrealistic goals like I went and ran a marathon with like six, six weeks training last year so if you can kind of push yourself in terms of like finding something you really love doing and thinking no actually I can do that I think it keeps your motivation up and you meet new people doing it which is really important as well like the amount of amazing people I've met on tr on treks and runs and different things so you can kind of build your social platforms up throughout through that really and another important thing is that there's loads of different navigation courses you can go on and like we want people to get outdoors but we want people to do it safely as well so by going on like a navigation course you're kind of upskilling yourself giving yourself like how to read a map take bearings you might even meet new people there who want to do like a similar thing so it's just about opening like your like your eyes to different kind of ways of getting out and doing it what would be your tips for helping people get out into the outdoors more I think it's just been like in terms of myself like trying to get out every weekend I just have to prioritise things like my mum goes mad at me sometimes because I buy loads of outdoor doors clothes but never buy myself any normal going out clothes etc I kind of save money by doing that but I spend most of my money out in the outdoors so um, to save on like little things like that Thank you so much for today. Um, it's been really, really wonderful to speak to you and hear about how you've really found a way to enjoy the outdoors again mm -hmm. and how it's, it's bringing so much to you again. Yeah, it's been, it's been really nice to talk to you about it as well. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. You too, so thank <laughs> you so much again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Jess's podcast. If you're enjoying The Outdoors Fix, please subscribe to it and mention it to your family and friends. And if you want to rate it on iTunes, that would be much appreciated.
There are lots more photos and info about the podcast and my guests on theoutdoorsfix.com or on Instagram at theoutdoorsfix. Now, time for some sounds from nature and an opportunity to relax. This time, it's the sound of wind in the trees in a meadow in Somerset. Thank you for listening to The Outdoors Fix. The podcast is proudly supported by Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports, stores nationwide and online, offering everything you need to equip you for the best outdoors experience.